We come now to Life and Building, Message 2. And this for a very quick review. We pointed out last night that life and building are really the center, the focus of the Bible. And we can grasp this if we understand what the Bible means by life and building. The life we're talking about is not the natural human life, certainly not the biological life, but the eternal life, the life of God, the uncreated, indestructible life. Then we went on to see that life is the content of God. The first attribute of God, even before righteousness and holiness, love and light, there is life. And also life is the flowing out of God, portrayed by a river in Genesis 2. In John 7, in Revelation 22, and for eternity we will all be together as the wife of the redeeming God, as the city, New Jerusalem, a a mysterious city because the city is a person. Life will be flowing out from God in a new way, forever, forever. Then we saw that life is in Christ, and actually, Christ is life. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the reality, and the life. Then building is not referring to anything physical, It refers to and means the corporate expression of God. And the word building is significant because it is a living structure composed of millions of believers, sons of God, and we will see they're living stones. So all of us are gradually being filled with Christ, renewed by the Spirit, transformed, eventually glorified, then all of us will be in perfect oneness with one another in the triune God that will result in the corporate expression of God that is building. Now we're going to spend the next um, 55 or 60 minutes on the Gospel of John. Perhaps more than any other book in the whole Bible, John presents life and building. So point one says we need to see life and building as revealed in the Gospel of John. Well, how can we see Life and building revealed in the Gospel of John. Well, the first step is very basic. 
we need to read the Gospel of John. We need to become familiar with what is in this book. Then we need light shining on us and on the Word so that we can understand what the words are conveying. For instance, we will come in point five to the Father's house. And for some reason, for hundreds of years, preachers have been saying the Father's house is heaven. But there's no basis for saying that. In the text, somebody came up with this idea, I think it was the devil, to mislead us and to distract us and to deceive us. So we need the light to shine on us and on the word. When this happens, what we see in the word will become reality in us. So now with point two, I don't know if in the scripture reference for point one, does your outline say 13, two and three? Okay, that's my typo. Okay, should be 14, 2, and 3, which refers to my father's house, many abodes, I prepare a place for you. And we will read those verses uh, very soon. Okay, the Gospel of John reveals the triune God. Okay, just this one statement. The Gospel of John reveals the triune God to us. And in the New Testament, every passage, every verse that reveals the triune God is presented for experience, not for academic study. We want to study it, but it's not a theory. It's for our experience. For instance, the last verse in 2 Corinthians Chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's experience. And this is what we have throughout the Gospel of John. Further, the triune God is dispensing himself as life into his believers. So here, I want to give another definition of life, especially from the point of view of experience. Life, that is eternal life, is the triune God in Christ as the Spirit dispensed into us. That is life. It's the triune God embodied in Christ who in resurrection is the life-giving spirit in and with our spirit dispensing himself into us until eventually we will be the life people, the Zoe people. And we see this in Romans 8. Verse 10 says, 
The body is dead because of sin. The spirit is life because of righteousness. And Paul uses the word zoe. So I'm looking at you. You are all born of God. You're regenerated. Your spirit is life. That's what Romans 8.10 says. It doesn't say your spirit is alive. That's true, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say your spirit is living. That's also true. Your spirit is life. Now tomorrow, if the young ones would go to school, those on the job would go to work, the mothers that are laboring day and night when they contact someone, if you would say, hi, how are you from your spirit, you're ministering life. Because your spirit is life. Then Romans 8, 6 says, the mind set on the spirit is life. Now life is flooding your mind. Now because our body is a body of sin and a body of death, we cannot say yet our body is life. But I love Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body through his spirit who indwells you. Now, when uh, I'm with the young or including the young in speaking, I want to be careful not to cause them to rush out of their youth. Just be young. Just be where you are. And the young adults and the young men, I know you have a different view of your body. You don't have the thought your body is mortal because you happen to believe that you are immortal. But those of us that are not young... I think many of us can say, I want a new body. And we're going to get a new body, but not tonight. There will be a resurrection body, then it will be life. But good news, the spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal body. So that's how I can do what I do, where I do it, and when I do it. It's because the Spirit gives life. That's dispensing. So I keep on reading now. Dispensing himself as life into his believers and that the believers, as the result of this dispensing, become the building of God. His expansion, enlargement, and corporate expression. So now the divine life is dispensed into all of us, and we gather together and live together in oneness. The result is building the corporate expression of God. And now in point three, we begin to focus on something quite specific. 
the significance of the stone is that it denotes a work of transformation to bring forth material for God's building, Bethel, the house of God. That's what Bethel means. So if you name a newborn daughter Bethel, that means house of God. Now, I'd like to spend some time with the verses as we go through. John 1, verse 42. And we have... someone being led to the Lord Jesus. In verse 42, he led him to Jesus. Okay? Andrew is doing this. Andrew, Peter's brothers, leading him to Jesus. So this is the first time Jesus meets Simon. And Jesus said to him, you are Simon, son of John, You shall be called Cephas, which is interpreted Peter, and that means stone. How would you feel if someone introduced you to me for the first time after the meeting, and your name is mentioned, and I said, that's your name. I'm changing your name to Stone. Okay, now your name is Stone. That's quite an introduction. Stone. Peter, Cephas, Stone. But this impressed Peter because in Acts chapter 4, he's announcing the gospel And he refers to Christ as the stone that was rejected and is the head of the corner. And then he says, there is not salvation in any other except this one. And so he's saying Christ is the Savior, but the Savior is a stone. Peter is preaching Christ as the stone Then when he wrote his first epistle, he said, all of us are coming to Christ as the precious stone, and we are now living stones. So, you are living stones, I presume. You know, there was this famous quotation, someone looking for this missionary in Africa, and he asked, you are Dr. Livingstone, I presume. So I play with it a little. You are living stones, I presume. (laughs) And then in verse 51 of John 1, the Lord is speaking to Nathanael. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you shall see heaven open." And angels, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see heaven opened. And the Son of Man, that's the Lord Jesus as a man. And angels ascending and descending. 
Okay, from your Bible knowledge, where else in the Bible do we read about angels ascending and descending? Ascending and descending. In Genesis 28, Jacob had a dream. I don't know why he used a stone for a pillow, but that's what he did. Then he had this dream of a ladder set up on the earth, reaching into heaven, and angels ascending and descending on the ladder. Then he woke up. He was, he was shocked in a positive way. He said, this is the house of God. The house of God is where the ladder is joining earth to heaven. Now in John 151, the Lord is applying that to himself. Instead of ladder, he says, son of man, which is God incarnated. God becoming a man on the earth. And the angels will be ascending and descending on him. The Lord is referring to Bethel, the house, the building. And so in this chapter, we have the stone and we have the building, God's building. And this thought will be developed through the Gospel of John and reach its completion at the end of Revelation. Key point A, the believers in Christ, after being regenerated, are being transformed into living stones for the building of the church. Matthew 16, 18, the Lord prophesied, I will build my church upon this rock, upon a rock. And Peter is one of the stones. Then Peter writes about our being living stones, being built up into a spiritual house. Amen. This is what God is doing on earth today. Be the house of God signifies Christ increased through the church, built up with the believers as precious stones and with the life-giving spirit as the oil to be the enlarged house of God, Bethel, for the fulfillment of Jacob's dream and of God's eternal purpose. <clears throat> so there are some points we need to emphasize here. When Jacob woke up, declared what he saw, he poured oil on the stone. That's significant. The oil signifies the spirit. The stone signifies a transformed believer. And these are the elements of the house. Now, in case you... Uh, this thought might have puzzled you, the expression Christ increased through the church. Christ increased through the church. Let's not skip over this. It's an unusual expression. And you may rightfully ask, 
How can Christ increase? Is he not God? And God is infinite. He he cannot increase. He cannot change. That's true. We're not saying that Christ in himself increases. But when Christ enters into, let's say, 10 million people and makes his home in their heart, he is increased in the sense of filling all of them up with himself. That's what we mean. He in himself is not increasing. And Paul in Colossians 2.19 says the body is growing with the growth of God. Well, how can God grow? God himself cannot grow. He's already infinite. For him to grow would mean he's changing and he can't change. But God is growing in you. That's why I can honestly say, in this trip, as I see the saints after two years, I can say, There's more God in you. God has been growing in you. But that doesn't mean God in himself is bigger than he was two years ago. Okay. And then we have the believers become precious stones. If we see this, we will realize something about ourselves in the eyes of God and something about all the saints. And that is, we should view one another as precious. Everyone, everyone, if you, if you know that Christ is in them, you don't just see the odd things about them, they comb their hair, you wouldn't do that. Whatever it is, the things that you don't particularly like, just as a human. But you realize the preciousness of everyone. And you need to realize your preciousness to the Lord. Because Christ himself is the preciousness. And what the enemy wants to do is to tear you down, to degrade you, to stir you up, to hate yourself, to judge yourself, to put yourself down. That's the enemy. But we have the precious one in us. The precious stone is in us. He's expanding. And we are going to become all precious stones. With the living spirit as the oil upon us to be the house of God. Now we're turning to two important portions in John chapter 2 and John chapter 14. And Roman numeral 4 says, in his resurrection, the Lord Jesus rebuilt God's temple in a larger way, making it a corporate one, the mystical body of Christ. Now let's look at these verses carefully because they will be the foundation for our understanding of the Father's house in John 14. 
So chapter 2, starting with verse 19. In verse 18, they said, what sign do you show us? The religious ones wanted to see a miracle. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Okay, this temple. What is he talking about? They thought, as you'll see, he's going to destroy this huge temple that was rebuilt under Solomon and then Herod enlarged it. It was spectacular. But he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Okay, what is the temple? And what does raise it up mean? Raise it up means resurrection. Verse 20, then the Jews said, this temple was built in 46 years. And you will raise it up in three days? But he spoke of the temple of his body. We know from John 1.14 that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the dwelling place of God before the temple was built. Now the Lord is referring to his body as the temple. Just as he is the tabernacle, he is also the temple. He said, destroy it. That's referring to his death on the cross. In three days, I will raise it up. That's resurrection. Verse 21. But he spoke of the temple of his body. The temple of his body. So what what happened? They asked him for a sign. In another place, in Matthew, they asked him for a sign. He said, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. It was three days and three nights in the belly. We're not told it's a whale. It's a big enough fish to keep him in there. And so the sign would be resurrection. Resurrection is the demonstration and the confirmation as to who he is. So the Lord is saying, the temple of my body you will destroy on the cross. But three days later, in resurrection, I will raise up this temple. But now it refers to his resurrection body, but even more to the temple, the church as the temple of the spiritual, mystical body of Christ. So the the temple of his body. And so his physical body in resurrection, on the one hand, is a glorified body, but in resurrection he produced the body of Christ. That is why in John 20, he said to Mary, go to my brothers. How could he have brothers now? The answer is in 1 Peter 1, 3, 
that we were all regenerated in Christ's resurrection. And we know from Acts 13.33 that in his resurrection, he was born as the firstborn son of God. So now there are the brothers and the firstborn son and the temple of his body is both his resurrection body, but especially the church as the mystical body of Christ. And then verse 22, when therefore he was, when he was raised, therefore, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So this verse is speaking of a building. The temple is a building. And the Lord's physical body was the temple in his flesh, in the incarnation. But in his resurrection, he will raise up the mystical body, the church as the body of Christ. Now the subpoints should help us. The body of Jesus, the temple, that was destroyed on the cross was small and weak. But the body of Christ in resurrection is vast and powerful. Ephesians 1, and 23 says, the church is the body of Christ, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Christ now fills the whole universe. You can go anywhere in the universe. Christ will be there. But in his incarnation, he was not everywhere, physically. But now in resurrection, he is beyond time and space. He is universal. And his body must match the person. So it's a vast and powerful body. Since the day of his resurrection, the Lord Jesus has been enlarging his body in his resurrection life. This is what he wants to do in the Lord's recovery every day throughout the earth. He wants to enlarge the church as the body of Christ in three main ways. The first way is that through the gospel, dear human beings, believe into the Lord, call on his name, confess that God raised him from the dead. They are born of God then they're baptized into the triune God. This is Christ increasing. Now another member of the body has been produced. And I realized Australia, with the kind of character, especially of the men here, they're not easy, but I still believe he has some chosen ones. 
in Brisbane and Gold Coast and throughout the country. There will be more. Then Christ increases in us by growing in us, by spreading in us. At first, he's just in our spirit. Then he makes his home in our heart. So he's increasing in us. Then in the third way, we're not just alone in our room trying to be spiritual. We're the church. We gather together. We live a life of fellowship. We live a corporate life. So this is Christ increasing corporately. So he's been enlarging his body in his resurrection life. He is still working for the building of his body under the process of resurrection. This is crucial. The process of resurrection is Christ conquering death and then releasing his resurrection life. Here I need to point out something. In John chapter 2, there are two important matters. We read the second. That was about the temple being destroyed and resurrected. But the first part was what happened at the wedding in Cana. He and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And the mother of Jesus was there. And then uh, she was really, really bothered, really worried. She came to the Lord and said, they ran out of wine. They, they don't have any more wine. And the Lord respectively, respectively just said to calm down. And what did he do? There were these huge, we would call them bottles, but huge containers of water. All with water. And then he changed the water into wine. And then there was a man in charge of distributing the wine and tasting the wine. So here is a new uh, portion of wine. So he tastes it and he said, this is strange. What people usually do is serve the best wine in the beginning. And people, when they drink a lot, they lose their discernment. Then they can give them the bad stuff. But you have, saved the, you have saved the good wine until now. Well, this miracle is a sign. It's a symbol. The jars full of water, the water signifies death. Death that fills the human vessel. The wine signifies life in resurrection for our enjoyment. So we need to connect these two matters in John 2. Why would he put them side by side? It's because the Lord will change death into life. He will change water into wine, I assure you. There will be times and you will sense you're full of this water. You just, you just feel it's just all over. Then the Lord comes, and it's wine. 
refreshing, stimulating, enjoyable wine. And then this opens the way for the church to be built up in his resurrection life. And so we have this in point C. Christ, who is resurrection and life, changes death into life for the building of the house of God. This is one of the most precious items I've come across in Brother Lee's ministry experientially. And through the years, this is becoming more and more real in all of us personally and in the church life corporately. Some years ago, I was visiting the church in San Francisco as I do most of the time, most years, once a year. And within a a very short period of time, two of the elders, they were not old, older men. They were well into middle age. Two of them died. And what a blow it was to the church. And also in the same year, a brother from that area married a sister. They were married nine days. and I don't know what happened when he was driving. If he, We don't know what happened. But his, but his van, the vehicle, went off the road and he was killed. One thing after another. You know, the whole church is suffering. More than suffering, you're just... When this kind of death hits you, you hardly know where you are. You may not even know who you are. How to go on. That, that is the bottles full of death. Then the Lord came in and changed the water into wine. He changed death into life. He will do it again and again in our personal life. He is well able to do it in our married life. And he just rejoices to do it in our church life. So I finish reading this. Our living as Christians is a life of changing death into life for the building up of the mystical body of Christ. I'm not trying to write a script for gospel contact. But I just have the thought, imagine if you're having just a pleasant conversation with someone, could be on a plane, could be wherever it is, it could be a friend of yours on the campus or at work. And and just what might happen, you're not preaching at them, you would say, uh, How would you like to experience death changed into life in you? What are you talking about? Death changed into life. Yes. I love the Lord Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And one day, he changed death into life by changing water into wine. And I've had some experience of this. And I care for you. I sense the need in you. So just think about this. 
And uh, this can easily be done. I assure you, I'm not the miracle worker, but I am one with the water changing into wine Christ. And if you would like this to happen, within five minutes, your water will be changed into wine. You will have the joy of salvation. What a, what a gospel message this is. Now we come in the final section. And good, our time is just right. The pace is working right. Because here we need to think very clearly. Because we have to correct just an erroneous, a wrong teaching that has robbed Christians by the millions of participating in the fulfillment of God's purpose. And what we'll see is the teaching is the Father's house is heaven. And you may be assured the Lord is preparing a mansion, a dwelling place, a condo for you. And when the Lord comes back, he's going to take you there. And that should be your hope. And so that's it. I got saved to go to heaven. Nothing about the will of God, God's eternal purpose, the bride of Christ being raptured to marry the Lord Jesus. Nothing about the one new man. No ministry about the kingdom of God. Just heaven. I had the opportunity, I would say the privilege of meeting Billy Graham twice at close range. One time, after a gospel message that he gave in a certain situation. Another time, sitting close to him for an hour at a fellowship meeting in Princeton, New Jersey. I respect him. He was pure. He was faithful. I believe he will be an overcomer in Sardis with white garments. His preaching of the cross was powerful. Brother Lee himself said this, but the goal of his preaching was to send people to heaven. That was it. And he was faithful to proclaim what he knew. And maybe the Lord just wanted him to do that, to be the evangelist in this way. But the Father's house is not heaven. So I will read point five, then we'll go through the verses and the subpoints, looking to the Lord that the light would shine. The Father's house is a matter of the triune God through incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection, working himself into the believers in order to be fully mingled with them so that he may, be, he may build them up as an organism for his dwelling and expression. Okay, chapter 14. Starting, the, well, I just start at the beginning. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe into God. Believe also into me, indicating he is God. In my Father's house are many abodes. No mansion. That's in another translation. Just a dwelling place. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again and will receive you to myself so that where I am, you also may be. The Lord said, where I am, you also may be. Where was the Lord when he said this? Where I am, you also may be. And where I am going, you know the way. Tom said to him, Lord, we do not know the way you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I, I am the way. And the reality and the life. No one comes to the Father, not heaven, to the Father, except through me. I'm the way to the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And henceforth you will know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long a time with you and you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How is it that you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? He said, you will be where I am. Where I am, you also will be. I am in the Father. You will be where I am. I'm not bringing you to a place. I'm bringing you into a person. And in this person, the Father, you will become the house of the Father, the building. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak from myself. But the Father who abides in me does his works. So he's in the Father, and the Father is in him. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Okay. And then, in verse 20... The Lord says this, in that day, that's the day of his resurrection, you will know, please 
note, brothers and sisters, he doesn't say you will believe. When he tells us to believe, we must believe. When he tells us to hope, we should hope. But he said, you will know that I am in the Father. Then he says, and you in me, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me. So then where are we? We are in the Lord who is in the Father. Right now, as we're here, the Lord is in the Father. We are in the Lord. This means by being in the Lord who is in the Father, we are in the Father. And all of us being in the Father by being in the Son, we are the building, the Father's house. And I in you. And so we had, in a previous verse, verse 10, I am in the Father, and he abides in me. He abides in me. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. And now we realize, he says, you will be in me, and I am in you. So what the Lord is doing He's saying there is a spiritual building that I am building. I said I will build my church. To me, for me the son, the church is the body. For God the Father, the church is the house. When I build up my church, I'm building the Father's house. I am the rock. The revelation is the rock. You are the stones. All being built together. And I have prepared a place for you in the Father's house. When I came into the Lord's recovery and touched it in September of 1966 and was introduced to the the practicality and the reality of local churches in California and began to be part of one and learned that there was a man named Witness Lee, a co-worker of Watchman Nee, He was living in Los Angeles and I was given ministry publications. Two verses that were in me from my previous Bible reading came to life. The first was, in my father's house are many abodes. I go to prepare a place for you and then I realized I am home. This is where I belong. Simply to be a brother among all the brothers and sisters. Not to be someone special. To be a brother. And the other verse was from Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. And he really knew how to evaluate a pearl. Then he found one of the greatest preciousness. So he sold all that he had and bought it. And then the Spirit made clear to me that pearl is the church. It will cost you everything. I gladly decided, whatever the cost, this is the pearl of great price. 
And then when the ministry began to come and I could relearn or unlearn or de-learn what I had been taught, then it's so clear. The whole thought of heaven, that's something injected into the text. It's not here. It's some religious thought that actually has its source in pagan religions brought into the Roman Catholic Church that is a mixture of pagan things with biblical things, then it just transferred to all the Protestant denominations. And I remember once uh, helping uh, a brother, a Presbyterian minister. Uh, I respected him very much, and I still do in, in memory. He was highly educated, he had a PhD, but he was a bold evangelical in the midst of a liberal denomination. And I was sitting side by side with him to assist him in a funeral meeting. And before it started, he told me that he's going to speak from John 14 about the Father's house being heaven. And this is what he said to me. That's not what it really means. But they don't know this. So I will use this to comfort them. Well, this didn't cause me to become bitter toward them. I just realized this weakness I can't take. I will never comfort a suffering saint with a lie, with a false hope, with a promise I can't substantiate. I will just comfort you with the God comforts me. And so let me read point five again, and then I'll read the sub points, and then my part is over. But the message is not over, because you've got to finish the message in about 22 or 23 minutes of sharing. I mean it. Last night, the saints finished the message. Yes. Let me read all the points again, starting with five. The Father's house is a matter of the triune God. You study John 14, you have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're all here. The triune God through incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection, working himself into the believers. So this is what he's doing even now as we're meeting. He wants to work himself into us in order to be fully mingled with them so that he may build them up as an organism for his dwelling and expression. So the new Jerusalem is called the tabernacle of God. And that is, we the believers, God dwells in us, And God himself is the temple. We dwell in him. This mutual dwelling, we in God, God in us, will be our eternal marriage life with the Lord. What an intimate union this will be. A, the Father's house is a divine and human incorporation of the process and consummated God 
constituted with his redeemed, regenerated, and transformed people. The word incorporation in our usage, not corporation, incorporation, is persons dwelling in one another. But this is not possible in the physical realm. But in the divine and mystical realm, it is. Because the Lord said, I am in the Father. The Father's in me. You will know I am in the Father. You are in me, and I am in you. This we call incorporation, mutual indwelling. Another kind of uplifted term is co-inherence. I abide in Christ, Christ abides in me. And the Lord speaks about this in the next chapter. I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. B, the Lord's coming brought God into man. And his going brought man into God. By his coming and going, he builds up the house of God by building God into man and man into God. So what the Lord wants to do in you every day, a little more, is to build himself into you. Ephesians 3.17 Christ making his home in your heart. He wants to come to you through his dispensing and build himself into you. And then at the same time, he wants to build you into God. And so the Lord coming to us and building God into us, that is the principle of incarnation. But then we will have experiences of changing death into life, and through resurrection, we will be built into God. This is going to be our personal history inwardly. By all kinds of things are going on in every aspect of our life, as we're aging, as we're going through things, The environment is this, the environment is that. But day by day, he's building himself into us. He's building us into him. This is how he's building the church. And it's all carried out by life. See, by the Spirit and through his death and resurrection, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is building an organism, the church, which is his body and the Father's house, produced by the mingling of the triune God with his chosen and redeemed people. So we are one with him in life, and he's mingling divinity and humanity in us. We're still humans, but now we're becoming divinely human. He's building up one corporate entity. Again, to the Father, it's the house. To the Son, it's his body. But it's the same organism. It's different designations. D, the Father's house is built up by the constant visitation to the redeemed elect of the Father and the Son with the Spirit. Verse 23. 
Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make an abode with him. This is precious. If you love me, Lord Jesus, I love you, Lord. I love you. So if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Not just the word here, the inner word like stand up and speak for a minute in the meeting. Or release this prayer in the prayer meeting. Or say something to this person to open up conversation with the gospel. When we do that, then then the triune God pays us a visit. Here comes the Father uh, and the Son, but the Spirit is always there. We will come to him and make an abode with him, not visit you. We're going to come and make a permanent house in you, okay? You love, you keep the word, we come and visit. This is how he builds. This is the personal side that issues in the corporate side. It's indescribably tender and sweet, endearing, affectionate, delightful to have such a visit. Maybe some of us should pray, maybe while you're in the shower, while you're shaving, while you're stuck at a red light. Lord, visit me today. I'd like to experience verse 23. E, the Father's house, is in three stages. The stage of, in, of God incarnate, the stage of Christ resurrected with his believers to be built up as the church, and the consummate stage, the new Jerusalem. Finally, we all need to be nourished by the truth concerning the mingling of God with us to produce a mutual dwelling place. So we have to say the Father's house is not heaven. It's the church as the mutual dwelling place. But some might sincerely ask, then my loved one passed away. Then where is she? Where is he? Well, please be willing to learn something from Paul. He wanted to depart to be with Christ. He wasn't concerned about a place. He was concerned about a person. And so where are your departed loved ones right now? They are in paradise with Christ closer than any of us could be in this body of the old creation. And they're with all the saints. And they will all be resurrected. Eventually we will all become the new Jerusalem. This is the real comfort. It's true. It's real. It's practical. Amen. Okay, I'm done. We've got 20 minutes plus, a little bit. I'll leave it up to you.